thank you so much for tuning in to Community Listener Supported 91.9 WDRT. You're listening to The Skeptical Naturopath with Paul Rattay and his hapless sidekick, Christina DeRocher. Hapless. <laughs> Good morning, <Come> Paul. On. <laughs> It's half full, half half less, hapless, half full, hapless, hap hap full. Oh, there you go, <laughs> hap full. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, you're hap full. So we're going to talk about infection. Ooh, tis the season, yes. Ooh, no snow on the ground yet, right? This is this Although, week we're supposed to get some. By the time it airs, yeah, maybe there's snow on the ground. Yeah, maybe, or maybe school will get canceled and not a single flurry. <laughs> Poor guys. <laughs> tis the season. Yeah, what do you want to know? I want to know, what is germ theory? Yeah, yeah, so this infection thing, yes. And understand with infection and the immune system, there's a whole bunch of fear that is around this. Like we're fearful of things, right? Fearful of death, fearful of disease, fearful of infection. And really to look at this from the germ theory perspective, right? That's the whole Louis Pasteur, you know, um, Antoine Beauchamp was his kind of his... um, what would you call it, rival? I'm not sure it's rival, but Pasteur was all about the germ theory. I'm not as familiar with Beauchamp. But Beauchamp yeah. is a terrain guy, right? So this supposedly on Pasteur's deathbed, he said... Pa- I'd take it all back. Yeah, something like Beauchamp was right, it's all the terrain. I don't know if that's true. It's per- perhaps an urban myth, but right. it, it's certainly a story that's out I mean, there. it is true. But they were <laughs> rival, right? So the idea is, is are we blaming a germ? Do we have something to blame as the bad guy versus the terrain is about the bad guy doesn't matter. We just need to work on having a healthy terrain and understand we can kind of use the microbiome as a perhaps a metaphor for the terrain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a metaphor, but it is also part of the terrain, right? The microbiome is extremely important. Right. So it's not a metaphor, really, yeah, right? It's not a metaphor. It's, but it's a piece of the puzzle. It's a piece. It's one piece of that whole. Yeah. What are the What are the other pieces? Well, then it's just hygiene things. Right? Okay. So it's hygiene. Okay. It's like, what, what's your nutritional status? What's mm-hmm. your stress level? What's your... How are you sleeping? Yeah. What's, you know, do you have indoor plumbing, right? This is a big deal, right? I mean, if we look back at uh, life expectancy in the United States, we see that life expectancy increased dramatically in the, you know, in the 1900s. Well, dramatically, I'm not sure it's dramatic, but uh, but we improve that because we improve hygiene. We improve certain things in the way that we you know deal with deal with waste, right? Deal with sewage, deal with these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then we also say, well, then we also use antibiotics, right? We're able to eradicate disease, so we eradicate infectious disease. And understand, we go back 200 years ago. What did people die from? We didn't in, die in, from cancer. We no, didn't die infections, from, yeah, right? We die from infections. So, so do you think that's part of the fear is like almost a holdover that we know these are serious things, even though we have things that eradicate them now? Yeah, perhaps. But again, uh, and where is that fear generated from, right? And, and I mean, we can, do you want to talk about COVID, which I'd prefer not to talk about COVID, but this is, you know, where does that fall on the level of how afraid are we of this quote-unquote disease, mm-hmm. right? And where does that fear come from? But anyways, the germ theory is the idea that we're going to blame a microbe, right? We're going to blame bacteria. We're going to blame a virus. We're going to blame a parasite. We're going to blame something that's like a foreign invader. Right. And that if we take care of that foreign invader, and whether that means that we have to kill it or we quarantine it or do something with that, then it doesn't affect us, right? So this is the idea that we're looking at a cause and effect, Right. And, and we like that, right? Cause and effect, that's a, a nice narrative. We have a cause, we have an effect. Whereas terrain now becomes 
oh wait, there's like 50 different causes. Mm-hmm. And how do, how are those different causes or factors translated in my body then to reflect on, do I get a disease or do I not get a disease? And how do I know that? Yeah, right? How do, how do I keep that? on top? How do we measure that? Right. Remember, we're in a culture that we want to measure things. If we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Right? So the germ theory means it, it, it lends itself to the war metaphor. There's a great book called Metaphors We Live By. Do you know this? This is from, no. the, I think, the 1950s. Can't remember the authors. I mean, it was a big deal when it came out, but it's how we frame our thinking based on metaphors. Like, we, we commonly need a good guy and a bad guy. We think about time, like time is moving forward. Why is time always moving forward? Where, where is that metaphor that it's a forward direction rather than a backwards direction, right? And how we read, right? If we look at Asian cultures that they read, you know, quote unquote backwards, right? right. But what, what, what is the flow of moving forward? Anyways, this is a whole idea of how we have metaphors that, that influence our thinking. Mm-hmm. We're going to beat cancer. We're going to beat cancer. We're going to fight traffic. I always think about that, right? Fighting. Well, like, what am I fighting? <laughs> or Why how? Why am I not in Zen <laughs> with, the, with the, what's around me, right? Yeah. And, or that I'm thankful for the fa- fact that I don't have to walk. That even though I'm stuck in traffic, mm. that there's that I have to fight traffic. Like who's the fighting? But anyways, the same thing works with the war metaphor with disease, right? So we want to beat cancer, right? We did, you know, what Richard Nixon declared the war on cancer. Yeah. How have we been doing? Uh, not so well, it well, seems like. And how do we? Well, but what do we? How do we measure that, right? Because I would say some cancers we become very good at treating, and other things not so good. And what what means that we, you know, prevented cancer? Are we preventing cancer? Are we treating cancer? I guess, I guess that's my point, is even when it comes around, I suppose sometimes we're able to do something, but the point is, what's the what's the root cause? How do we get to the point where it's not as prevalent? Yeah, what's the root cause instead of what are the 40 different root causes? And of those root causes, which ones do I control? Which ones do I not control? And if there's something that I can change or I can control, then I should you know, allocate my energy toward the things that I can control versus allocating my energy to things that I can't control. Mm-hmm. If I can't control something, I can think about it, right? I can think about my children who are, you know, mid-20s and what they've got going on, and I can ruminate about that. But wh- how much control do I have over that right now? Zero. Zero. Yeah. How much control did I have even when they were 17? <laughs> I mean, I had more, right? I have a 13-year-old that there's some semblance of, you know, I can set protocols and I can... But still, it's now the fight back of he wants to be an individual. But mm-hmm. anyways, I digress. So the germ theory is that we've got something to blame, right? Mm-hmm. And we can point the finger and we can say it's a germ. And and think about this, antibiotics, penicillin, total gift, yes? Yeah. I mean, we've eradicated syphilis, right? Syphilis is not a problem. Syphilis was a big issue, right? Spirochete, right? The spirochete that, uh, you know, responds, I mean, penicillin works well, it eradicates it, done deal, everything's fine and good. So that's the idea that we focus our attention on the germ. So we're looking for a organism. Mm-hmm. We're looking for something to identify it and then to say, how do we kill it? So that's a, a, an organism and a war metaphor. In fact, when I tend to th- start to look at the immune system, I tend to think of that, yeah, not so much what are we trying to kill, but how do we dance with it, right? Perhaps it's a dance rather than a war. Because when I think about all of the germs and bacteria that are in your environment, I'm thinking 
this is a losing battle. I mean, they're everywhere. They're on our skin. They're in our homes. They're, I mean, so the idea that we're going to eradicate it sounds very sterile. Correct. That leads to the hygiene hypothesis, right? So the hygiene hypothesis says that we're too clean. Yeah. That we actually need the bacteria. We need parasites. Do you know this whole idea of people with autoimmune disease are ingesting parasites? Have we talked about this before? No, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, they're ingest parasites. And for, so the whole idea is that they're trying to downregulate their immune system. So think of autoimmune disease. So autoimmune disease is a hypervigilant immune system, right? So your immune system is now attacking, killing, uh, repairing something in your body, right? So if we're talking about uh, rheumatoid arthritis, so now you have an immune response that's directed at your joint space. So for some reason, your immune system is causing damage in your body, mm-hmm. but it's your immune system. It's not coming from outside. Something's triggered or um, you know in- enhanced that immune system to say, oh, now I'm hypervigilant, I'm hyper alert, and I see the joint space here, and I see, oh, this is a problem, and we need to do something about it. And whether there's actual damage there, right? So you sprain your knee, you sprain your ankle, that's an inflammatory response. That's your immune system having a quote-unquote acute response to something, right? And then hopefully that would go away, right? It resolves, right? So the whole idea is you do the cleanup work, you get inflammation, and then you, you know, do the repair work, and then the inflammation goes away, right? So that's an acute response. It's when it becomes chronic, right? We can go through phases of inflammation, but so the chronic inflammation is now that inflammatory process is still there, but perhaps the inciting factor is no longer there, Mm -hmm. right? Or is it something that you saw something from 30 years ago, and that's put your immune system on alert so that now when you're challenged with something in the future, that now your immune system is hypervigilant with it. And again, this is messy, right? This is N of one stuff. This is like, what's your individual story, right? And I can't always say like, oh, well, you've got a really hypervigilant immune system, or you have a hypovigilant immune system, right? Hypo then would be the reverse case. Like suppressed. So now your immune system can't respond to that. Right. So again, we want to balance. We don't want it on too much. We don't want it off when it needs to be on. So there's this this balance point. We can, I mean, talk about how the immune system works on this. But fundamentally, the idea is that these things in our environment are challenges to us. Right. So that instead of, or maybe perhaps opportunities. Yes, an opportunity that maybe this could kill me, but also the opportunity to. Does it something that actually makes me stronger? Is it better to avoid something or is it better to overcome something? That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, that's hormesis. Yeah. So this is this whole idea of how do we become sort of more anti-fragile, right? So that actually this idea that we're not fragile, we're not going to break. Resilience means that, oh, well, I've wrapped it in bubble wrap. So if I drop it, it doesn't break to the point that you want to drop it and you want that stress on there because that actually strengthens it. Mm-hmm. I mean, an infant is born with a, you know, basically no immune system, right? A sterile digestive tract and, you know, the immune system needs to be seeded. So how do you seed the immune system? How do you like develop, how does a child develop that immunity? That's Just that's all aware? right. I mean, that's what they say is that the illnesses, the childhood illnesses, are building the strength. Right, and yes, these illnesses could kill you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm not denying that. It's just like, but what's that risk of that? And should we just like 
suppress all those childhood illnesses and they shouldn't happen. I mean, my approach, again, this is personally for me, that I don't mind fevers. So fevers are the response that your immune system has. Mm-hmm. So your immune system is now reacting to something, right? So your, your thermostat is basically turned up to say, hey, we're turning it up to a temperature that we're going to like kill any quote unquote foreign invaders or whatever we're dealing with. But the idea is that it's hopefully not too high that we're going to start damaging your tissue. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is this delicate balance. But the fever response is your body's response to something. Right. right. It's not coming from outside. Mm-hmm. It's not foreign. It's your body's response. And the whole idea is that a fever is there to eradicate, to do something, right? There's a reason for that. And that if we just go ahead and just treat a fever every time that it happens, then you're ending up... And what happens if you've got a fever and you take some fever reducer? It suppresses the symptoms. And then what happens, you know, eight hours later, 12 hours later, a day later? The fever comes back. Does it? Well, I've never, did, I've never done that for my daughter. You know, well, <laughs> it does it come back? I mean, you, the whole idea is you're trying to turn off that immune system. So we're using something to say, hey, immune system, we don't want you to do this. This is a bad thing. Now understand, I've, you know, I have three children, and I've seen high fevers in my children. I'm very hesitant to, to, to treat a fever. That's my own personal response. Mm-hmm. And it, it's you have to have your comfort level of where you're watching this. I don't want febrile seizures, right? This is something that can happen with a high fever. Right. And you need to be mindful of that. But do you just start treating a fever because it's at 100 degrees because you're like, oh, I need the fever to go away instead of reflecting on the fever is the body's response to something. And we want to support that. We don't necessarily want to suppress it. But then there may be a time and a place to suppress it, yes, when it's getting out of control. Or let's say you just say, well, Johnny can't sleep, and I'm going to give him something to reduce the fever so that he can sleep tonight, and that fever may come back tomorrow. I mean, whatever, whatever yeah, yeah. The, the thought process is to to say, what, it, why am I using this instead of like fever bad guy? Yeah, right. And just Suppress re- symptoms immediately. Correct. I, I feel like colds get a bad rap for that too, you know, where it's it's not... It's not severe enough to be super worrisome, but you can't go to work or you can't go to school or you can't do the things that you want to do or sleep. And so it gets medicated without really being thought about as to what is really happening. Yeah. And how effective is medication for it anyways? Yeah. Again, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't mean, know. You take anything over the counter, you could take alternative. I mean, it doesn't matter. The whole idea is this is a process of the immune system. And do we just go in there and say, well, I'm going to treat a fever homeopathically, or I'm going to treat it with herbal things instead of treating it with the conventional. Again, it's the idea that the immune system is mounting a response. And we, I think we need to respect that mm-hmm. and just say, hey, I'm going to watch this course and I'm going to see this. I look at it too that it's kind of almost like a restructuring. Right, that it's beneficial. It's not just neutral. It's right. not you sitting idly by going, I can't wait till this is over. It's really, a, like you say, a restructuring, a rebuilding, a strengthening. Something positive is going to come out of it. Yeah, and I've seen that with all my boys, right? Oftentimes that there's a growth spurt that happens after a fever. Mm-hmm. So the fever uh, uh, creates or allows that to happen. It's like clean up the dead stuff, right? This is a way that we're just going to kind of get rid of the residue and allow something new to new to develop from that. It was very hard for my mom to watch me not medicate anything for Annalena. You know, I haven't, I've never bought anything over the counter or administered anything to her, but she's seen over the years how infrequently she actually is ill too. So I think that's been really helpful for my mom to see that, you know, that you don't have to medicate them. And it, it may not always be that 
that it's not going to come back in such force. But at least in our experience, you know, my daughter just isn't sick that often. So they, right. it might be intense. It might be a hundred, you know, degree fever. We don't even have a, <laughs> we don't even have a thermometer. <laughs> but I'm very, very old school. But anyway, yeah. So that was, so that's been really helpful for her. It's been a learning curve because she's like, well, we would give you aspirin and we would, you know, make sure that you could sleep and and that sort of thing. And it's. I'm saying I trust the body's wisdom over modern medicine to to a certain degree. Of course, it has to do with comfort level. I know my daughter's biography. I know that that some children, you know, do, as you say, they have febrile uh, seizures or they have certain situations when they're born or when they're young that that tell you that they're they're more susceptible to to illnesses. And that's what we that's what we should reflect on. Right, so we reflect on what's your susceptibility, and your susceptibility has to do with all sorts of things. And and you know, from my perspective, we start with the diet, right? I mean, how much of the diet? What what does sugar do to your immune system, right? What are these things? How do they affect that? Do they suppress it? Do they not allow it to manifest? And so the idea is, how do I create a healthy terrain, if that makes sense? Yeah. So that when there's bugs in that terrain, when there's parasites, when there's viral whatever that my immune system can manage that because it's happening all the time it's happening all the time i mean we're we're breathing we're breathing and we're perspiring and we're walking around in different environments as we go through our day unless we live in a bubble right and how are you going to live in a bubble right? right and this is this is we deal with everything not even just microbes but stress temperature changes, all these things in our bodies are designed to be able to withstand that. And part of it is strengthening that and strengthening it by sort of challenging it. It's just, again, back to the infant, how do they develop their immune system? I mean, breastfeeding is a way for them to get immunoglobulins from mom so they get a little bit of a head start. Mm -hmm. So they have some support from somebody that's, you know, theoretically, I mean, if it's their mom, right, unless it's a milk bank or something that they're getting you know the immunoglobulins from mom that their mom's immune system has developed and done that and passed that on to say hey here's a starting point Mm -hmm. and starting to develop that microbiome right because that microbiome plays such an important role in the immune system and think about it how do we get sick i mean how do these things get into our body I mean, I, I just always have this imagination that they're already there. That we're well, just... they are already there, but let's say we're, we are exposed to things, right? Yeah. And because there is some level of contag- you know, contagiousness with things. Yes. But again, you know, are you resilient Whether to Whether you it? catch it or not, Exactly. Right? Yeah. But so the idea is that, yes, there are things that carry that, yes? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, how does that get in, though? What's its route of, route of infestation, if you want to think about it that way? I mean, the air... Well, yeah, the air, but what happens in your body? Where is it in your body? I always think of my intestinal tract. Yeah, your but, intestinal yeah? tract. Okay. And is, so let's just talk about that in a minute. Is it going to get absorbed in your esophagus? Mm, probably not. Not so much. How about in your stomach? Yeah, maybe, right? Maybe stomach, stomach. Stomach flus. Well, let's talk about the stomach because I like to talk about the stomach. So <laughs> what goes on in the stomach? Uh, acids. Yeah, acid. So acid, um, hydrochloric acid. We make hydrochloric acid. And, and how many millions of Americans are taking medication to block stomach acid? Something that we make. And I'm not saying that that's, there's not value in treating a symptom right, by doing right. that, but perhaps we want to try to look at it from a causal level instead of saying, oh, I just have to block stomach acid. But what do you think stomach acid does? So you have a, a substance that has a pH of what, 0.8? If you remember your <laughs> pH scale, that's really acidic. Yeah, right. So what happens, do you think, if you get a bacteria in your stomach and there's a pH of 0.8? 
it's, a really acid environment. It's neutralized. Ah, kill it. Yeah, right. But if you're taking blockers to suppress the natural ability of the stomach to create acids, Perhaps it, you it, may be more susceptible uh, to bacteria. Yes, exactly. Maybe I'm but not it, so hapless after all. Not at all. You're half full. <laughs> so this is just the natural process of how we digest. For example, the digestive tract also affords us some protection. Right. And so is that also antibiotics, right? We all know that if we overdo antibiotics and we hear it on the news sometimes that, you know, animals have overcome the efficacy of antibiotics because the farmers are overdoing it and that sort of thing. I know we can do that in our own biome. Is that happening more in the intestinal tract than the stomach? Well, that's where it wreaks havoc, right? So the, a lot of the problem with antibiotics is it also plays, it has an antibiotic effect on your microbiome. Right. So it's going to affect the bacteria there. And then it becomes what antibiotic? Are you using a broad spectrum? Are you using one that's more specific? And how do we use these antibiotics? Or do we just do it routinely? Like this is just what we do. We're not even thinking. We just always give you an antibiotic. And, 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 or we give it to animals, for example. Right. Right? It's just part of what we do because we know you're going to be, your susceptibility that is high, so we're just going to constantly give you an antibiotic when you eat. Right? Or we put in the food. or we, however, however we go about you know, managing managing disease. Yeah. But yeah. we're, you know, we're quote unquote trying to prevent that instead of saying, wow, you know, if they had access to outside more, that this wouldn't be such an issue. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we took more conscientious control over how we're creating our microbiome, then perhaps we also wouldn't want or need to take antibiotics as the cure-all every time, right? Right. And how do we foster that? And how do we make ourselves again, resilient or perhaps anti-fragile that actually bring on the bug because it's going to make me stronger? Yes. Could it kill me? Uh, yeah, perhaps. But do I trust what I've been doing and where my, the status of my health is that I've paid, I've paid attention to the other factors that I, that are within my control to make me less, less susceptible when I'm challenged with that. But I can't measure that, right? I can't tell you that that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to die from getting COVID. Yes. I think, I think this is where the fear comes in, right? It's just this uncertainty. Yeah, for sure. Right? And again, how much faith do we have in our, our immune system to do this? And how do we strengthen that instead of just saying, oh, well, it's just a kill metaphor and we got to kill it. Mm -hmm. At all costs. Thank you so much for tuning in to Community Listener Supported 91.9 WDRT. We, we appreciate your support. I want to let you know that the Skeptical Naturopath, otherwise known as Paul Rattay, will be giving a lecture on hunger or a hidden source of inner strength. And that lecture will happen on Saturday, February 10th from 9 to 10 in the morning at the Commons on Jefferson Street in Viroqua. Hunger, a hidden source of inner strength. Yeah, that, okay. so I've been Co told that, that perhaps that's too that's too. I don't know if clever is the right word. Like, why don't you just talk about losing weight? Why don't you just right. put weight loss on there instead <laughs> of say hunger? Ah, yeah, but hunger is the is where the rubber hits the road. But we'll talk about that next month. Right, right. Uh, anyways, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no problem. All right, so. So where were we on this? You know, it's seeding. Well, we were talking about the digestive tract, how you get, 
how you're exposed to things or how how do things get into your body yes so your digestive tract is a big one because your small intestine is designed to absorb that so you kind of got that stomach there to offer you a little bit of support or a protection protective layer right we have this with Anna with taking probiotics as well mm-hmm. so probiotics are they intercoded or are they treated in a way that uh, they withstand the stomach acid so they're not just neutralized in your in your stomach Right, so oh. that we can actually deliver it where it needs to go. So this is an issue from the supplement perspective too, right? That we want to, you know, that back that the the hydrochloric acid may also impair our ability to build a microbiome, or at least to take things, you know, externally exogenously to 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 seed that if that's what you want to do. Because it's too strong. Because it's, I mean, what do you mean? Well, so they'll, for example, they'll enteric coat, or they'll, you know, they'll they'll make sure that or the the whole process with the probiotics is that it's able to withstand the stomach acid okay so it's so designed that it. way yeah, it's designed okay. that way mm-hmm. and and understand so then i do i want to take a probiotic as a pill or am i going to take it where i should just eat fermented foods right. right but fermented foods again in a stomach environment that's really acidic may neutralize some of that but eating fermented foods is a way that you're getting a broad spectrum of bacteria Versus when you take a probiotic, oftentimes it's targeted. So you're taking one or two strains, maybe 10 strains. And then I I don't even know what to do with probiotics. I think they're valuable, but I've been using probiotics for, you know, 25 years. And I can't tell you, oh, this is it. This is the best one. I I don't know. I I don't know how to measure that. I I know how they're measured, but I, I can only talk about what my own anecdotal experience is. So if I have somebody take that and they come back and say, wow, I'm better. I mean, that. That means something to me, right? Yeah. But I don't have any other way to assess that. N of one. And N of one. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, well, that N of one, maybe I apply that to somebody else and see what happens. But anyway, so that 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 digestive tract is one way things get in, yes? Because that's the nature of fermented foods, right? The whole idea that you're fermenting, making sauerkraut in your basement or having your sourdough starter, the whole idea is that it's literally pulling in bacteria that are eating the sugars that you're feeding it. Right? Exactly. So I, I don't know why I'm having a, an aha moment here. That's, that's like a homeopathic dose of the external bacterial filled environment that is helping you build a similar micro, mi- microbiome within that can say, oh yeah, I, I can withstand what's coming in, right? Yeah, and it, does a microbiome completely come from without? How much of it it comes from within? I mean, I think it starts there, right? Well, it starts that we have nothing, right. so we have to seed it, have right? To, right. Well, we, and so we seed it, but then is it only because we take probiotics that that's why our microbiome is healthy? It can't be, because I don't no, think I've not. ever taken a probiotic. Exactly. <laughs> is, or is it just eating fermented foods? Yeah, sometimes or is it just I forget so we come in too. contact with everything in our environment and some of it sneaks by that, that uh, stomach acid and who's to say who sneaks by and who doesn't sneak by. And then again, I, this is, comes back to something else we talked about, right? We've talked about toxic bile, if you remember that, mm-hmm. that, that whole bile production, that that bile is a, what's a hormes, hormetic agent? I don't know. I don't know what we would talk about. It's a challenge to the microbiome. Mm-hmm. So my own personal belief is that I think that having good bile flow and healthy, quote unquote, healthy bile instead of toxic bile, another story, but that that challenges that microbiome and makes it stronger. Mm. 
Okay. So again, that's another challenge. Like a fever, the yeah, same idea. Yeah, yeah. The it's fever. like a fever from the bile in your stomach. I never thought of it that way, but that's a, again another challenge to that microbiome to say, hey, we need to strengthen up. Yeah. And again, I mean, we can do stool cultures on people, and we can find bad bacteria in people that are quote unquote healthy, but they don't have an issue. Wow, you don't have any symptoms? I'm seeing a really bad bacteria here, and you don't have any problems with it? Like, why is that happening? So again, this is where we want to type and test and, and you know identify because we want to look at the germ, right? Or in this case, we're looking at the good bacteria. Yeah. But the idea is like, oh, it's just a mess. It's just well, a... Well, a, be kind to Mother Nature. It's a mystery that that we don't necessarily understand, right? I mean, I mean, what you were yes. just saying is kind of phenomenal. You've got this, quote unquote, what we consider bad bacteria, and somehow it's jiving with your system, yeah. right? Somehow they're able to cope with it. Yeah. So that's mysterious and wonderful that, yeah. that your body, I mean, of course, the body's wisdom is deeper than your deepest philosophy, right? Yeah, so maybe messy is the wrong word. Yeah, yes, but I'm sorry, because nature, I was really inspired, and nature, then you went to messy. <laughs> yeah, nature's messy anyways. And I think yeah. the messiness is a good thing, right? So the messiness is there's so many different variables that play a role in this. Right. And what are the things that we do on a day-to-day basis that's, you know, that encourage, encourage that instead of just taking a probiotic? Mm-hmm. I mean, I give you a probiotic. I'm not hesitant to do that. And I see people with autoimmune disease. And the whole idea is how do we get that immune system to shut up? That's fundamentally what's going on instead of saying, oh, I got to treat this symptom or I have to treat my joint space. I have to treat my thyroid. Don't get me wrong. We can do that. But fundamentally, there's an imbalance in that immune system. That immune system is stuck on the on position. And people are taking parasites in an attempt to downregulate that immune system. You'd be like, what? There's the the book. It's the uh, epidemic. And I think it's called an epidemic of absence. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, He writes... In the New York Times, you can find some of his stuff. Now, that's very clever, I have to say. (laughs) What's clever? Well, you were saying your hunger subtitle of, you know, of the inner strength is clever. But I think the, what was it again? The something of absence? Oh, the epidemic of absence. Epidemic of absence. That's very clever. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, doesn't that make you want to crack the book? Yeah. Epidemic of absence. We don't have enough. But so we don't have the signals to turn off the immune system, to downregulate it. Mm -hmm. So parasites have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. So parasites may have an effect to not only infest your GI tract and potentially cause problems if it's too much, too much, too little, what have you. But on the other hand, there's a signaling pathway that goes on there that it may have an effect to, to turn down the volume of the immune system and have an effect based on it, you know, existing in your gastrointestinal tract to actually, you know, downregulate somebody with autoimmune disease. So this reminds me of the macrobiotic dictum, everything in its extreme turns into its opposite. Ah, yes. So it could be because it doesn't make any sense. You would think it would turn it up, turn the volume up, right? right. But it's extreme. And so it's turning into its opposite and it's actually lowering the volume. Interesting. Right. So, and, wow. and again, its effect in one person may be completely different than its effect in somebody else. Of course. I mean, and that. When would you do that? Anyways, in this book, he talks about, because he's got alopecia areata, it's an autoimmune disease, no hair. Right. So he, you know, talks about going to, I think, Tijuana or something and going to see somebody and he gets a patch. I think it's whipworm. 
So he puts the patch on, and then the and they burrow into his skin to infest his gastrointestinal tract. And he gets an antiparasitic drug to take as well. Like if it's too much or if it's too bad, and you're having reactions, here you'd got to take the antiparasitic. He gets the, he gets the antidote. <laughs> he gets the antidote. But anyway, so this is the idea. Like I'm trying to do this to get that immune system of mine to shut up. Yeah. So I can grow hair or whatever. But yeah. But the, the, or at least lead a somewhat normal life. I imagine that's very difficult. Correct. But that's, again, a different way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I mean, my skeptical nature is just to say, hey, there's probably five different answers here. And who's to say which answer is right? And to become, you, you know, and to look at all those variables and say, wow, well, that's interesting. How would I would apply that? Now, I haven't given my patients parasites. Yes, I haven't done that. Uh, but uh, that's something to say, wow, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a way to think about this, that that leads to the hygiene hypothesis. And so the hygiene hypothesis, as I mentioned, it's like we're too clean. Yeah. We clean things. Yeah. So we find that kids that grow up on farms, that have animals, that have more siblings, they have less allergies. Mm-hmm. This is just what happens. So we live in a quote-unquote allergic culture, right? We're allergic to everything. I mean... Allergic food, right? You come and see me, I'm going to say, oh, what are you allergic to? What foods are you eating? Don't eat gluten. Don't eat dairy. Right? But uh, again, am I treating the cause when you don't eat gluten and dairy? It's like, why can't I digest gluten and dairy? Like, what's happened? Mm-hmm. And is, isn't there some magic pill I can take so I can digest gluten? And where is this gluten epidemic coming from? And yes, if you have a health problem, it may be worth your while to say, hey, I'm going to take gluten out, see if it makes a difference. And it's a trigger, but it's probably not the cause. Right. Makes sense? So this yeah. is that we need to work on that milieu, right? We're still, again, trying to work on that terrain to try to strengthen it. So an allergy is never really so much it's the food causing the problem. It's your body's response to the food. Mm-hmm. So it sees gluten or it sees gluten, the protein fragments from that, and that triggers that immune system to say, whoa, we got a problem here, and this is what happens. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that you know have celiac disease, and they go to Egypt and eat pita bread in Egypt, and they have no problems. It's like, oh, wow, so maybe there's something different about the gluten, and maybe it's not the gluten, but the everything that else is around the gluten that makes it more of a problem in the United States than it does in Egypt or wherever else, or Italy, right? I mean, I have patients that they get their, their flour imported from Italy or they go somewhere where they can get that, and they don't have issues with that. Huh. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. Is so this the is glyphosate it the or well, glyphosate is one part of that, uh-huh. but we also use dwarf wheat. It's the hybrid, the hybrids that we use. So you know, there's some more of those native grains like emmer wheat and einkorn, yeah. which are you know, I think there's less chromosomes. I think that's the case there that they may be more tolerated. So somebody that's got gluten sensitivity may be able to tolerate things that are in a different, you know, different strain, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Because we've gone along, we've you know, we've we've just destroyed it. I mean, we've manipulated, we've hybridized, we've we've manipulated, (laughs) whatever, whether it's genetically modified, what have you, but we've been messing with that. And perhaps that changes the way that our immune system can handle that quote unquote protein Mm -hmm. or something else that's associated with the protein. And now we're overreacting to it. I, I don't know the answer, but if you have symptoms and gluten makes you worse, I'm very interested. We'll take the gluten out. But beyond that is also to say, how do I strengthen that digestive system? How do I strengthen, you know, my microbiome? And will that make me be able to eat gluten? I'm not sure, right? It may be that it's quote unquote too late or, but certainly the whole idea that you can still get your gut, you know, you can regain your health. And again, is gluten a part of that or not a part of it? Uh, I don't know. It just is another weight on the scale. Do you think it ever is too late? 
well, I don't know if it's too late, it's maybe how much it's tipped the scale. Because I see, I mean, I've seen lots of people that have eaten gluten for 40, 50 years. And they see me and I'm like, well, take gluten out or let's do an elimination diet and do this. And then they're like, hey, ever since I, you took me off gluten, now I have a problem with this. I'm like, well, it's probably been there. It's just like it's smoldering. It hasn't been to a level that you're like, oh, I'm having acute symptoms from that. Mm -hmm. Versus somebody that eats gluten and they have bloody diarrhea, they're going to be highly motivated to say, I need to get this under control. Mm -hmm. Versus I eat gluten and I get a stomach ache. Or with my son, I eat gluten at night and I'm really restless in bed and he's kicking around doing this. And you'd be like, oh, restless bed? Like, what's the big deal with that? But constantly seen behavior issues with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that doesn't really manifest physically. But then I know that, oh, you eat gluten and this is what happens. And again, the idea is, well, don't eat gluten. But again, why is his body that way, right? Can we do that? Can we strengthen that? He's been that way since, as far as I know, day one. Mm-hmm. But partly, you know, he's inherited a genetic profile from myself and from his mom, and those things play a role in that, right? Yeah. Part of that is... Absolutely, because when you're talking about some of these symptoms, I know people who struggle with these things, and I know their history, and I say, that has something to do with it, too, for sure. I, even even stress, right? Stress from childhood, oh, yeah, you know, exactly. all kinds of things come into play when we're, when we're talking about how to... Isn't that interesting, though? I mean, when, really, when we're talking about how to build an inner sanctuary that helps us to be strengthened against or strengthened for what we what we meet every day. And then we don't things. worry about what we're challenged with, right? It's like, right. bring it on. And again, you've got to do your work and you've got to try to figure out how to assess kind of your barometer to say, am I in a good place? And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Am I getting enough sleep? What's my energy level, right? All these other things that give you some feedback to say, hey, wow, I should be doing something different, right? And we're in January, New Year's resolution. So everybody's like <laughs> trying to clean up everything. And then how long does that last? March, maybe. Yeah, March. Well, it depends on the, I've heard it depends on the weather. So the oh. worse the weather is, the longer you'll do that. At least from a gym perspective, you go to the gym, you'll go to the gym longer if the weather's bad. Because it's crappy outside. But as soon as it gets nice outside, then your likelihood of continuing on that goes away. Right? <laughs> you also know the most meat is sold in the United States in January, more than December and more than November. Really? Yeah, people are going on low-carb diets. Oh, yeah, they low go on a low-carb diet say, oh, i got to lose weight. And then they do it for, you know, three weeks or four weeks or however long, right? right? But then the idea is, when does that peter through, right? And how do you get something, how do you change that habit permanently rather than just for the next 30 days? Make it sustainable. And right? again, you know, so an elimination diet is one way to try to help manage symptoms, but I don't know that that's treating the cause. And as much as I do that and I, t- I work with patients on that, yes, it can make a difference and you feel better, but how, how is it that we strengthen things? Right. So the elimination diet is one step in a larger process, right? You're not, Correct. You're not saying that's the end goal. But if you get eliminate. sick from eating gluten, don't eat gluten. Yes. But then why do you get sick from eating gluten? And what else is that reflecting in your body? And what are other things that we need to improve on? And I often find, you know, digestive health, hydrochloric acid status, upper GI, you know, having good bile flow, bile production, all those things are crucial. Mm-hmm. Having good detoxification pathways of which, again, kind of difficult for me to measure. But just the idea that, wow, you know, we're inundated with things in our environment that, first of all, we want to get that 
that digestive tract to keep things out that shouldn't get in. But if it gets in, what do we do about it? That immune system gets triggered. The liver has to get involved to kind of do cleanup work there. So how do we just afford that? And, and, and not necessarily suppressing the immune system, if that makes sense, right? So taking something to turn the immune system off, how do we get it that we don't upregulate it, right? How do we get it just to, to shut up, mm -hmm. right? We don't want to suppress it. Yeah, chill, just chill. We're good here, <laughs> right? But anyway, so the digestive tract's a big one. But the other thing I wanted to say is when there's, you know, when it's cold and flu season, the thing, you, you know, the number one thing, the number one advice that, that, that I have for, you know, not spreading disease, let's spreading microbes. What's the best thing? Uh, Don't touch your eyes. Really? Oh my gosh. I would never if you want to get that. sick, I just touch, touch my eyes. your eyes. Because <laughs> anything on your hand, right? Understand right. something on your hands loaded with Going things. right into it goes the right place. In. There's no, no protection. protection. No protection. Right. Your nose, you don't pick your nose, but your nose is somewhat still more, a little bit more it's got resilient. Hairs. It's, yeah. 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 Your eyes, nothing. Immediate access there. Don't touch your eyes. Don't touch your eyes. Yes. I never would have guessed that in a million years. I mean, maybe, 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 maybe. I mean, you could probably would have you gone through the body and said, because what I was going to say is, please don't say it's washing your hands. Yes, but right. actually, that's why they say wash your hands, because people know that they yeah, do touch, their, touch eyes. their eyes. So just don't <laughs> touch the eyes. Right, yes. So right. you, whether it's on your hands or not, just don't put it in an environment that it's going to get in quickly. Right. Better in your mouth, right? Better to put your hands in your mouth because, again, your digestive tract is somewhat... It's going right to the stomach. Well, you're, you way, have right? some protective layers there. You yeah. have nothing in your eyes. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's my advice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wow, that was just one question that we had, oh, yes? Are we at the 40? Per yeah, it's perfect timing. Thank you again so much for tuning in to Community Listener Supported 91.9 WDRT. We appreciate your support. On Saturday, February 10th, Paul will be giving a lecture on hunger, the hidden source of inner strength, from 9 to 10 in the morning on Saturday, February 10th at the Commons on Jefferson Street in Viroqua. And that's a pay what you... Yeah, free will donation. Yeah, free will Whatever. Donation. It all goes to the Commons anyways. They, they let me use the space. Very nice. Yes. So... Um, what more should we talk about? We could talk about, yeah, I've got this immune access. I think this is a good way to sort of categorize, to, to think about it. And I'm kind of a visual learner, so I have my little axis drawn up. So on this axis, so there's two, two, two um, axes here. One is, uh, is the, from immune function, is it internal versus external? And the other axis is, is it hypovigilant? Is it hypervigilant or hyperactive or hypoactive? And we could kind of, I mean, I'm doing this loosely and generalizing about kind of putting in each one of those quadrants, mm -hmm. a disease that, or a, a condition that kind of represents that. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I'll ask you, so where does the autoimmune disease work? I know so, it's actually written on the other page, so oh, I'm not yeah, going to cheat. Oh, yeah, you can't cheat. I'm watching <laughs> you. So it's, so, uh, so two choices, right? It's either hyper or hypovigilant. Yes. Uh, hyperactive, and hyperactive, internal. Or internal or external. Right. So where does autoimmune disease fit? Okay. Well, I know it's hyper. Yes. Okay. Because it's over. It's overactive. It's, it's attacking. Overactive, yes. And it is internal. Internal. Yeah. yeah. It's happening inside your yeah. body. It's in your joint space. It's in your thyroid. It's in your myelin sheath. It's hey, what in, do I win? What do you win? Uh, <laughs> what do you want? Some bitters. <laughs> <laughs> some bitters. Some liver tea. Right. 
so that's autoimmune. So how about infection? Where would infection lie? Infection is... Uh, is it external? I think it's more external. We could kind of argue about this. But, okay, because it could... Yeah, I mean, you can internal, get internal. Right, course, but, but Yeah, but I think of external, and it's... Um, hypo. It's hypo, right? So your immune system is not able to attack something, right? right. Or kill it, right? And and in, in immune function land or physiology land or immunology, we call that cell-mediated immunity. So cell-mediated immunity is the actual response that you have. So a weak, a okay. hypovigilant immune system means you're not having the fever, you're not having the discharge, you're not having, you know, all these things that would happen as a response to say, I need to wake up that immune system, I need it to be more vigilant mm-hmm. to, to do that, and that's where we see the fever. So that's the problem with suppressive therapies, right? Suppressive therapies are going to kind of turn that off. Right. They don't allow us to do the discharge that we need. Again, there's a time and a place, right? So there's judicious use of this rather than, just, rather than just routinely doing that. Right. So the overprescription of antibiotics is just that we're using antibiotics for things that it may not have any effect on. Or we're giving the antibiotic because the mom comes in with the child and says, I need to do something and I need to you know, do something. And it's, the MD may say, well, there's really nothing to do, right? Just go home, it's viral or whatever. And I mean, oh, I got to take something. What can I take? Oh, well, here's an antibiotic because they want it. And I don't know how much of that goes on, but this is just the idea that, you know, don't take anything. You don't need to take anything, right? You just let this go versus now is the time that we want to get involved with this to say now is a good time to use an antibiotic, right? Like pneumonia, right? So somebody comes to me with pneumonia. Is it bacterial or not? And I may not know that, but bacterial you know, pneumonia may kill you. So now we're at a little bit different risk-benefit ratio than we're talking about, like, for example, an ear infection. Right. So again, how would we use that? And maybe we don't even know that it's bacterial viral, but we're going to cover our basis to say, hey, you know what? Risk benefit here, much more problematic. You're going to take an antibiotic, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, again, I would say the judicious use of, of antibiotics rather than just doing it, you know, broad spectrum kind of thing. <clears throat> anyway, so that's infection. Right, so which we said was external hypo. External hypo. Okay, how about um, allergies? Um, allergies are happening internally. Uh, they're coming from external, though. They're pollen and wheat and eggs and nuts. I think it's so external. That's external. Yeah, okay. it's external. <laughs> but, it's an, but it's a reaction inwardly. It's an inward reaction outward, if you think about it, right? So an allergy, what happens when you're confronted with pollen that your body doesn't like? You produce more mucus. Let's call that on the surface of your nasopharynx, and that's really not in your body. Right, good point. It's in your body, but it has, it's that... The tube, right? It's in the tube that goes from one end to the other. What's in the See, tube is not, quote unquote, in you. Right. It's... My macrobiotic training says that if you didn't have something going on internally, the pollen wouldn't bother you. Well, I agree with that. Yeah. But so the... that's why I thought internal. Yeah. But yes, I get what you're saying. Okay. So so allergies are external and they're hyper. Hypervigilant. Because stuff's You're going on. overreacting yes. to pollen. Yeah. Like pollen's not going to kill me. Why, why, why do I have an issue with pollen? Mm-hmm. Well, what's, what's going on here? So again, it's that immune system is overreacting externally, right? Versus autoimmune now is that's been pointed inside and now it's in the body. And now you're having that hypervigilant response, like I said, in your joint space, your connective tissue or somewhere else. 
Right. And it's funny, you know, all these autoimmune diseases and they're all different. And But fundamentally, the approach to it is the same regardless of the individual manifestation of the autoimmune disease. Because we want to get that immune system to shut up. We want to turn down the immune system, whether it's affecting your thyroid, whether it's affecting your joint space. You, you know, that that is just the manifestation of it. Underlying that is this hypervigilant immune system. Right. So you're going straight to the foundation, which is across the board. Exactly. Yeah. And then we see the symptom picture that may be completely different in all the different autoimmune diseases. How it's manifesting. Exactly. But the underlying process is the same. Got it. And, you know, part of it is, hey, take gluten out because maybe gluten is it exacerbating it. Is gluten the cause of that? No, gluten may be one weight on the scale that's, you know, playing a role in your symptom picture, but we still, that's just one piece of maybe burdening your immune system, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, cause, effect, where are we at and how far do you need to go? But, we, I mean, I want the symptoms to go away, yes? Right, right. Okay, so that's allergy. And then finally it would be cancer. Okay, which is happening internally in this hypo yes, it's reaction. hypo. It's like your immune system can't see the cancer cell, right? So it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We develop cancer cells all the time. Our immune cells should be able to you know, identify that and say, oh, bad cell. And then we go through apoptosis. Apoptosis. I love saying that word. Right? <laughs> Any time I can say apoptosis, it's kind of like borborygmy too. Oh, my you know, goodness. No, God bless that's you. Stomach grum <laughs> that's the stomach, stomach noises. But oh, anyways, that's even more fun than the stomach noises I themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, apoptosis like program cell death. So this is the idea that mm. if it's a cancer cell, we want to kill it. Right. We want our immune system to see that and to do the do you know due diligence and kill that cell. And that yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. And understand that we often talk about free radicals, right? Free radicals, oxidative stress, like they're bad guys. Right. Right. Remember, we're at a war metaphor, so right. we want more antioxidants. We don't. We want less free radicals. But understand the free radicals are what's used by the immune system to kill bad cells. So wait a minute. They're they're the warriors. Yes. So why so, do we want to kill the warriors? I don't know. Oh. But we again, it's in a simple good guy bad guy thing. Mm -hmm. right? This this you've got to be on one side or the other, and if you're not tameable, you need to go. Exactly. So this leads to the uh, a question that happens clinically. So if somebody that's a cancer patient that's undergoing chemotherapy, should they take antioxidants? So chemotherapy is working in a way to kill cancer cells, yes? I mean, yeah. we're trying to kill the cancer cells. Mm -hmm. And yes, we may kill good cells too. We're trying to limit the good dam we're trying to limit the damage of the good cells. We want to really target the bad cells, right? Mm -hmm. That's fundamentally what happens in chemo. That's why it's so, so tricky, It's right? so tricky, yes? And so an antioxidant is to say, hey, we want to protect that. And understand the way the chemo works is by killing and that by potentially taking an antioxidant, you may protect the cancer cell from the chemotherapy. But the point is that they're not trying to obviously protect the cancer cell. They're trying to protect your good guys. Exactly. So the whole idea is should you use antioxidants with chemotherapy? And again, I would say, you know, probably every oncologist will say, no, never do that. And I look at that and say, well, yeah, I totally understand that. You don't want to interfere with the chemo. If you're making the commitment to chemo, you want chemo to work. Here's how I look at it is to say, yeah, but wait a minute. Chemo agents work within a period of time. And so you take a chemotherapeutic agent, whether it's IV or something, and it works for, there's probably a window of therapeutic efficacy, which I don't know. That's not my, it's not my expertise, but that's just the pharma, you know, the, the, the kinetics of the, of the drugs work. 
So there's a window of killing opportunity. And understand, let's say you get chemo every other week, right, or once a month. So you go for chemotherapy, and then there's, you know, the active killing is going on, and then there's the recovery phase, mm-hmm. right? And the recovery phase is, hey, we need those white blood cells and those red blood cells to kick back up because, hey, the chemo kind of affected your red blood cells and your white blood cells because they turn over really quickly. So you maybe kind of become anemic after chemotherapy, but then we give you a week or two to recover, and then you take chemotherapy again. And your point would be antioxidants during the recovery exactly, time? Exactly, right. Yeah. But now this is, again, an individual perspective, right? So what's going on with the individual? What medications, you know, what chemotherapy are they taking? When do you do that? And I'm not the one, I mean, I'm always yeah. going to run that. This is, a, this is an oncologist question. Right. Right? But that's the idea that maybe there's a judicious use of them that may offer the recovery to help with the recovery when you're in recovery mode and not in kill mode. Mm. But regardless, the whole point here was to say that free radicals aren't just bad guys. It's mm-hmm. like we want directed you know, bad guys when we need them toward the cells that we want to a- attack instead of just saying, oh, I need to take more antioxidants, right? That's just a, kind of the classic you know, health food approach to things, right? Naturopathic. Oh, everybody needs antioxidants. Everything is so nuanced. In fact, it's so nuanced. And so I want you to go back, if you don't mind, just on that concept of cancer cells are are in us at any given point, right? Right. And how is that possible? What what is going on there? Just a cell replication goes bad. Okay. Because we're constantly turning cells over, and can we? Do we? Are we perfect at that? Does it happen? exactly the same all the time no we get we get abnormalities know, abnormalities happen as a result of that and then your immune system should be able to survey what's going on and say oh that's a bad cell let's kill it right and again i'm talking really generally here right i'm not talking about the exact mechanism of how this happens or doesn't happen but right but the point is i i think that if people really had a conception that that was happening in their bodies all day at any given point, right? I mean, not saying we have cancer, you know, every minute of every day, but but that that might lower this idea of, well, it might lower the fear response to it as well. Oh yeah, like perhaps. to help maybe understand how yeah. complex the human body yes. is and all the wisdom that's inherent in that to do this, and that we just want to let it do the work that it's trying to do. When it, when it can. When it can. And get out of the way, right? That's why I call my classes, right? Obstacles to cure. What are we doing that are getting in the way? Of the inherent wisdom. In the inherent wisdom. Like just get out of the way and the body knows how to take care of this on its own. And yes, we can try to classify it and understand it. And that's our quest for knowledge. And, you know, looking at it under a microscope, which is fine. But the macrocosm is that how do I look at symptoms? How do I look at you know, people's history to say, hey, there may be a susceptibility here and these are things you could do to maybe strengthen that. And what works for one person may not work for somebody else. Hmm. Should you eat meat or should you not eat meat, right? That's a, a, a question you can say. And, and we want to make a single statement to say, well, you should not eat meat. But maybe some people shouldn't eat meat and maybe some people should eat meat mm-hmm. instead of like demonizing whatever it is to you know, polarize I would, I would your posit, position. I would posit the phrase "need to" might even be more appropriate. Like should, yeah, like need to, yeah, because I, I, of their physical makeup, to you know, right. So it's all these. I mean, should I get a vaccine or should I not get a vaccine? That's a whole ball of wax, right? I mean, we can go down that rabbit hole forever. But again, what's your strength? What's the strength of your immune system? 
Like, do you trust your immune system to be able to do something and to come in contact with a virus or bacteria and be able to defeat it or keep it under bay or quarantine it or what have you? Because it's really quarantine when we talk about viral. Yeah. Right? Quarantine is like, I mean, we all have, you know, herpes, you know, herpes simplex. I mean, 80% of human, you know, United States, we have, we test positive for that. Epstein-Barr is another one. Wow. We have it, but it doesn't replicate. It's mm -hmm. silent, like it's quarantine. Tuberculosis is the same way, right? A disease killed a lot of people. The whole idea, can your immune system kind of wall that off, quarantine it, and nothing's going to happen? No problem. You'll live the rest of your life, and it's no, no issue there. Right. But that's your immune system, and can we measure that? And do we know that? And do we have faith to say, hey, I'm not worried if I'm challenged with that because my immune system is strong? We don't, right? We, we, that's the uncertainty part that we can't. We yeah. can't make those, you know, we can't make the claim to say, hey, I'm strong enough to beat this. Yeah. Yeah. In macrobiotics, we used to say, you know, don't judge someone if they need to go, you know, the usual route, so to speak, right? Because macrobiotics is so extreme and, you know, not a lot of um, Western medicine. But we would always say that if somebody felt the need to go that path, they know something about themselves, of even course. if it's not conscious, right? Because we don't know the mysteries that are happening internally a lot of the time. Even when we do testing on them, that's one moment in time, right? Or it's through this kind of process that isn't actually happening in our body, like how we test how we digest things, right? Yes. I mean, I've, I've read a little bit about how we do that, and it's, and it's basically trying to burn something up you know, outside of the body. And that's really not exactly what's happening internally. But at any rate, that we should also trust our intuition, that if we are afraid of something, maybe we need to educate ourselves, but maybe we also just have an inner feeling that, you know, something isn't right for us or something is right for us too. Yes. And how much does that inner, inner feeling even have effect on your immune system? Right. So it how much does fear suppress your immune system. I think that absolutely, I mean, it constricts the kidneys. They've done studies to show that, that if you live in a fearful state, the kidneys are literally constricted, which is part of your immune system, right? Yeah. I, I, so I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but right. I don't want to live in fear, right? I want to live in a, in a, you know, to say, hey, I have integrity. I have agency. There's things that I do that make a difference. And I have faith in that. And it may be blind faith, but I also know that my body will not lie to me. Mm -hmm. That if I'm listening and I'm really conscious and I take the time and I reflect on that, that I can get signals from that. And then I will know what's right or what's wrong. Or I can go through an experiment. I can try an experiment, say, hey, I'm going to take gluten and see if it makes a difference. Maybe, maybe not. But run the experiment. So, I mean, that's basically how I look at how I work with patients. Let's run an experiment for a month, see if it makes a difference. I can't make promises for you. But I can say, hey, these are things we're doing and let's control these few variables or you know, control them as much as we can and see what happens. And then you come to me and say, hey, this made a difference or it didn't make a difference. And then it's like, okay, well, that's on you now. And you have that feedback to give you some guidance to say, hey, this is useful or this isn't useful. That's a really inspiring note to end on. Thank you so much, Paul. You're welcome. All right, thank you for listening to Community Listener Supported 91.9 WDRT. We truly appreciate your support. On f Saturday, February 10th, Paul Rattay will be giving a lecture from 9 to 10 in the morning at the Commons on Jefferson Street in Viroqua, a pay-what-you-will. And the topic is hunger or a hidden source of strength. Until next time. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>